Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides mental health resources for people who've experienced the trauma of a positive SCI diagnosis. Today, I am here with Sierra, and no, not my ex-girlfriend, uh, but Sierra on Instagram, who uh, I saw that you had posted something to your Instagram story that was a repost of someone that I'm connected to on Instagram who will be a guest on the Something Positive for Positive People podcast at some point, Safe Slut. And I believe it was, uh, nope, I don't even want to butcher it because I'm, I'm wanting to say bad bitch and herpes. I forget exactly what it was, but what was it? Um, herpes positive and still a bad bitch. Yeah, I love yeah. how you say it. You say it like you, you like you're kind of getting away with something. Like the way I see it in your face, <laughs> you're kind of cheesy about it. Uh, I'm curious what inspired the story that you shared along with that. And you don't have to say it verbatim, but like, can you just share um, a little bit of the wording that you shared along with the repost on your story? exactly a year ago and for a while I've been wanting to post something on my story or just like it's been pretty like under the wire like my close friends know about it my parents know about it um but it was never like my diagnosis was never something that I talked about publicly um and so I was wanting to kind of say something about it I originally had like an idea of making it on like a feed post and like making it more interactive and more detailed um and I had been going through um, Positive Results Us, like, is another account that I follow, Ray, um, and then Christina also. I'd kind of been, like, looking at their feeds over the last week, like, okay, if I'm going to post something, like, what might I repost? It was always kind of the plan to repost something from their account. Um, and then it popped up the Herbie's Positive and Still Bad Bitch with, like, the little brass doll and, like, the great, like, purple color scheme um, that popped up on my feed after I'd had just like a really bad day and it came up late at night it was like 11 30 and it popped up and I was like eh like fuck it like let's just go like I don't really have it in me to like make a whole huge post but like I think it like it popped up on my feed like when I wanted to see it and I just made the snap decision like okay like I just want to talk about this this is something that I feel like I really want to not like get off my chest but something that I thought was important to finally make visible there's been so much shame like the whole story is such a mess like I was just like I kind of want to reclaim this I want to make it mine I feel like I knew nobody um who was herpes positive when I was diagnosed nobody in my close friend group so I was like okay if there's anybody who's following me or not following me or whatever who stumbles across this like I want to be able to help somebody feel comfortable and safe and seen because I wasn't. So that was kind of the thought process. And um, it was really, it felt like very empowering to just like post it and then like go to sleep. Like <laughs> that's all I did. <laughs> what happened when you woke up? Um, I had a lot of messages from my friends and um, people who are saying like, you know, people who I'm, I've chatted with, but you know, just popping in and being like, wow, like, this is really great, like, I'm really proud of you, like, thank you for this, or doing the little, like, hundred emoji, or the little, like, woohoo, like, clappy hands emoji, um, it was nice, it, it felt like it resonated in the way that I had hoped it would, and, um, yeah, I, I just feel like, I feel so much better being visible about it, like, I was really tired of just, like, 
seeing stuff pass through my feed, like from all the accounts that I follow and wanting to reshare, but knowing I would kind of have to like, I'd want to have a preface to it. I just want to, wouldn't want to like pop it in there and be like, Hey, by the way, yeah. I have herpes. Like, I think I wanted to like make, say something about it rather than just post and go. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good response and it was like a good feeling that I don't feel like I've had for the last year kind of like dealing with this diagnosis and all of the shit, you know, that came with it. So, right. Yeah. When uh, you say this was a response that you'd hoped for, was there a different response that you sort of foresaw other than this one? Not really, because I think like the people who follow me are generally like we run in the same circles. I kind of curate my follower list. If somebody follows me that I'm just like, mm, we're not there. Like it's gone, you know, like I kind of have my little social media bubble. Um, but, you know, I think there's just, like, a lot of nervousness, especially with the men in my life. I think I was never concerned about how the women in my life, like, would perceive this post. But always, like, I, I think there's just such a question of, like, okay, how does how does me being herpes positive affect, like, how men are attracted to me? And just, like, who are these, like, random men on my feed, you know, like, who I work with or who I, I've just known, you know, in passing, like... How's that going to change things? So I didn't really like think about it too much, but that I, I never expected any of the women in my life to message like, this is so gross, you know, but I'm, I feel like a little bit more hyper aware of like my proximity to the men and like past relationships, especially. So I don't know. I, I almost like don't care like at this point, but you know, I couldn't have done that a year ago. Like, I don't think. Okay. When you say yeah. that about the men, just, mm-hmm. Does that have anything to do with your sexual attraction, perhaps, or like your value as someone, um, as a partner? Like, did you more so value or identify with your identity in relation to partnerships than Mm -hmm. friendships with women? Is that kind of why you looked at men's opinions to be uh, carry more weight? have this like little voice in the back of my head that's like well people aren't gonna find you attractive or they're not gonna want to date you because of this and like that's that's been like was one of my like biggest like realizations a year ago when I was diagnosed I was like oh shit like this this changes the game and it totally has you know I think something that I see so much like positivity around it and if like this doesn't define you like let's slay the stigma and I'm like yes like a hundred percent and also there you know for me it was like yes let's slay the stigma but there is it comes it still comes with so much weight it's not you know I don't see it as like oh whatever my life is the same I just have herpes it's like no like my life fundamentally changed and like my relationship to sex and dating and casual sex like has completely had to change um so that's been really, really challenging. So I think that was kind of feeding into that, like, okay, well, like, how did, how, how am I perceived then? Like, how is this changing how I'm being witnessed by other people who might, who I wouldn't even want to have sex with, but who might then be like, oh, I would never have sex with her. It's like, why is that a concern for me? I don't know. But I think it's like, this diagnosis is so tied up in like, um, I guess like worth or like sexual worth or attraction. And that's been really challenging. Yeah. What I find is that how we view SCIs in general, after we become exposed to them, we begin to 
identify with them because our self-image is so interconnected with our sexuality. You know, when we introduce ourselves to people or when we're in pursuit of partners and relationships and talk about identities, often the beginning point is something under the umbrella of sexuality. Like I'm straight, right? Or like I like uh, this is what I like. These are things that I like to do in terms of how uh, intercourse is had or like um, Mm -hmm. if we look at fatherhood, motherhood, you know, even those fall under the umbrella of sexuality. So um, our identity becomes so challenged upon diagnosis that when we get that, we're just like, who am I? (laughs) You know, and we seek some sort of validation and assurance of who we are. So I wanted to preface the question I'm about to ask you with that statement, because I'm curious to know, you know, were you validated in your identity by the men who responded to your public disclosure? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's just so interesting. I think I think the reason, like, the diagnosis was so, like, devastating was because I had spent, like, the year prior, so um, I ended, um, you know, I exited a relationship with a, a very, like, a long-term relationship, almost five years, um, with the first person that I'd ever had sex with, and um, as we grew apart, um, like, our sex life definitely grew apart, um, we very rarely had sex, and um, I, uh, like, for a while, like, was like, oh, okay, like, I must be asexual and that was like something I was kind of exploring and leaning into and so then after I exited that relationship um, I was able to sort of like rediscover my sexuality um, when I moved to a new city and you know was using tinder for the first time at like age 22 and so I felt like I was in a little bit of a sprint to like catch up on what I'd missed and you know me two years ago was so like tied to what men thought of her and like wanted I wanted to feel sexy and like like approachable and you know I wanted to feel that validation because it was something that I hadn't experienced before and so I had a pretty like good year for the year that I lived in that new city and then I moved to New York City where I am now and um I was feeling pretty good, like, I was on birth control, like, I, you know, I was, like, I kind of had it all curated, like, I had this, like, perfect, sexy image of myself that I was ready to, like, explore in New York City, and um, very soon after I moved here um, was when things kind of blew up, and I, and I got that diagnosis, so I think that was, like, why it was so devastating, because I went from being this very, like, empowered, like, sexual person who was, like, rediscovering herself and kind of discovering for the first time what I really liked and then all of a sudden boom like here's this like lifelong diagnosis um and I feel like that's a pretty common like that happens to so many people who I've talked to where it's like oh nope you have to rethink everything now like I feel like I can never access that same person again and that was like devastating I I cried for like three days like after you know I found out and um yeah it's it's it was really challenging so yeah, like, my self-worth was so tied to, like, whether or not I was, like, worthy or good enough or sexy enough to be in a relationship or, like, desired mm-hmm. um, by men, and that that's something I've had to really, really work on. Was this your first ever STI diagnosis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, damn, they couldn't have given me, like, chlamydia or something that I could take a pill for? Damn, <laughs> like, 
it was, yeah, it was like, I hadn't thought I was invincible by any means. Um, and I was really, thought I was really, really good about protection. And I was frequently tested more than once a year. I think I was tested after every partner. And um, I had been, you know, I I'd had sex with a lot of people um, before I moved to New York City. There were at least like four or so people who I'd had sex with that year. So I was feeling like, okay, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it right. You know, like I'm, I'm being safe. Like I'm communicating really well. I'm on birth control. Like there was always really open dialogue. And then um, I don't know if maybe like I got sloppy or I just forgot how to communicate in a new place because I was overwhelmed and I was so excited. But yeah, like really the like the first um, two partners that I had sex with here in the city, um, I don't know which, I don't know who, it was and I, I I will never know and that's something I also had to kind of like okay I have to reconcile with this this is my thing um but uh yeah it was pretty soon out the gate like I moved here in um end of July like early August and then got the diagnosis in um November so it was a really like hard and fast wake up call to a new city <laughs> yeah and can you walk me through Everything from the diagnosis, uh, from your first symptom to when you found out that this was herpes. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. Everything was happening very fast <laughs> at that point. Um, I was super busy and was, like, feeling good in my sexuality and just, like, feeling very desired. Like, it was a good feeling. I felt very wanted um, by, like, the men in my life. Um, and then... I think it just, like, honestly, a series of, like, miscommunications with condom use, which was another thing I really had to kind of come to terms with, um, but we can get into that later, but, you know, obviously there was some kind of, some exposure happened, and I was aware that I had, like, probably fucked up, um, and was like, oh, okay, like, I'm not expecting anything bad to happen, but I'm going to go get tested anyway. Came back, all fine. Um, so this was, I started having symptoms beginning of November. Um, the problem was I, it's just like a mess. I had been on um, a birth control method that was causing just like uncontrollable bleeding. So that was something that was already happening. I had like four yeast infections and bacterial infections back to back to back to back as soon as I got to the city because I guess humidity and new sexual partners like ruined my body so it was actually really hard to tell what was going on um and so I remember I remember that there was like a tear or like what felt like a very small tear and that I had assumed was just because of rougher sex not enough lubrication whatever and I was like all right, this, this hurts, you know, I was like, oh, okay, like, this hurts, but, like, some, it, I'm easily aggravated, so it wasn't, like, a big deal, um, and then it didn't really bother me for about a week, um, but I, it wasn't healing, and I was, like, checking on it, and, like, at the time, it was only that, there were no other lesions or anything like that, um, so, like, a week went by, and I was like, this is kind of hurting, but it's not a worry. And then after about a week, I started getting like cramps, almost as if like period cramps, but like, like just in, in my back and like all the way down my legs, I started to feel like very feet, like just warm and kind of feverish. 
and um, my legs started hurting so bad. It hurt to like stand up, it hurt to walk around. Um, I was working two retail jobs at the time. So I mean, like the pain was really obvious. Um, and then I look, I kept checking because I'm like, well, I know what my body looks like. I'm pretty actively aware because I've had a bunch of yeast infections. So I was in the practice of like self-examining basically every day. Um, and I noticed that like the little cut had kind of like turned um, more into like what a canker sore looks like. And that was really like my only reference point for it. So I was like, well, that is, that is alarming. Then it started to hurt so bad to pee that I was like, yes, yeah, something is wrong. I remember being at work um, and telling my coworker, I was like, well, I'm going to go to urgent care like right now um, after I got off work. So my story is that I found out that I had herpes right before meeting my favorite author of all time. And I couldn't even enjoy meeting my favorite author because I was just told that I had herpes. Um, so I went to urgent care. I had seen the same doctor before um, because I didn't have health, like health insurance was a mess. So I was always in this urgent care um, from like August till November. I was there like six times because of just health problems in general. Um, and I just remember describing the symptom and he was like oh well do you know what herpes is and I was like oh oh no like and it never really blipped like across my mind I just don't think I knew what it was I knew what it was like in this like very vague sense but I didn't really know what it would look like to get it um and I had just recently been tested for everything else didn't know at the time that herpes isn't included in routine sti testing i thought when i said test me for everything they would test me for herpes now i know better um so he did an exam and like literally the words out of his mouth were like yeah this looks herpetic like those were the words and i just remember like feet in the stirrups being like oh no it was just such a horrible feeling like of like oh no the nurse tech, who I know by name and who knows me by name at that point, um, she was like, don't worry, we don't know for sure that's what it is, we're going to send a sample, we'll prescribe you, um, I think they prescribed me Valtrex, like, on the spot, um, but they weren't sure, they were going to send it to the lab and get it looked at, but he, because at the time there were only two lesions, I think, like, it wasn't, like, some horrible explosion yet, um, so yeah, I just remember like putting all my clothes back on in the urgent care because they had some like emergent patient next door who they were like, okay, like, well, we can, here's this packet of information, take it with you. We have this emergency patient. And so I was, and I was trying to get to the book, the, the reading event where I was going to meet my favorite author. So I was like, all right, I gotta go. Um, so I just like threw on all my clothes, jumped on a train, got to the reading and I was just like couldn't even really focus because I was like oh shit like this is this is like forever like if this is what it is it's forever um so yeah I was kind of in limbo a little bit after that because I think it took a few days for me to get my results back um but I at the time I didn't know like who I'd gotten it from um I was kind of like on the outs or like in between a couple relationships at the time um, and so I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I don't even remember what I did, honestly, during that time. But I think I went home that night and did a lot of Googling 
and cried myself to sleep. I think that was like the series of events. Um, gosh, yeah, it was miserable. I just like remember being so miserable and didn't know how to like talk about it to anybody because I had never had a friend, had anybody like experience what I was experiencing. So I was very like, I am in a new city on the outs with the two men that I've been sort of seeing or having sex with all alone with this terrible like foreboding diagnosis above my head and um then the next morning I think I like looked and did like a little self-exam again and I was like there's no way it's not this because it it just like got worse I mean it was like terrible to look down there um then fast forward I was at my other job um and got the call from my from from the doctor at urgent care um and she was like so we got your results back. You have HSV-1, genital HSV-1. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means. And she was like, well, have you, have you had oral sex? And like, that was her terminology. Like, that was the question. Have you had oral sex? And I was like, yes. Like, just me, like, thinking about, like, all these, like, amorphous dicks, like, floating around my head. Like, yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> and then I was like, well, how would I how could I get, how could I get it on my vagina from sucking dick? Like, it was so, like, not, like, explained, and I was, like, at work in the basement at the time, and, um, eventually what I found out, um, was that it was likely somebody who had HSV-1, like, a cold sore, or just, like, that was where the infection was located, had given it to me orally, like, through giving head. But that, it was so unclear, and, like, I feel like there's almost no information about genital HSV-1 that's, like, easily accessible, like, without digging through a bunch of other stuff, because as far as I had known, HSV-1 was cold sores, and HSV-2 was genital herpes, and, like, I didn't know that those things blended, and, like, it's all basically the same thing at this point, so it was awful. I had no resources. Like, there was, I knew nothing about what was going on. Um, it was terrible. It was such a terrible, terrible, terrible time. And I can laugh about it a little bit now, just like how dramatic it all was. But I mean, it was like, I was in excruciating pain for like, I think the whole like breakout was like three weeks. Like it was like, excru and I took, even with, even with Valtrex, which I started taking immediately, um, it really didn't go away for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take this moment to introduce an ad because literally most of the time that you were talking, like at this time, I usually record now because construction's over with, it's dark outside, and there's nothing <laughs> happening. Literally, for the last seven minutes, <laughs> my neighbor parked in his car and his parking spot's right outside my apartment, right? No. So he for whatever reason it's really really loud like i heard every word of what was said on whatever he was listening to at the same oh. time someone i have a phone that's just in my kitchen doesn't dial out doesn't accept calls never goes off i guess someone came to the front door of my apartment uh building and pressed the right button to make it go beep so someone, I guess, just got let in. A neighbor came home next door. She, like, came in, left, came in, left, checked the mail, and then came back in. And there's a conversation that's happening out there right now. And then oh whenever my, my neighbor gets home, the dog upstairs barks. So the dog was barking for a bit. 
and it barks until he comes in the house. So if anyone's listening and you heard like mild distractions, my apologies. This podcast is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. So visit www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP in order to get 30% off of your first at-home STI test kit. And you can even get a COVID test. I'm going to try and keep talking through this while my neighbor and whoever the hell she's talking to right now continue to talk outside extremely loud. And it's so loud while I'm recording this podcast. Okay, I think it just stopped. I don't think they heard me. But anyways, yeah. If it makes so. me feel better, I can only hear that last bit of conversation. I couldn't hear anything else. So maybe the viewers won't hear it. <laughs> right, well, I figured that the rain would have drowned out a lot of this. But it's like, people are like, oh, it's raining outside. Let me get louder. Right? Yeah, they have to shout over the raindrops. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so um, at checkout, use promo code SPFPP, and you get 30% off your at-home SCI test kit. And this is something that, you know, especially in the time of COVID, I mean, if you want to hang out with someone, you've been talking on online dating sites or chatting for a while, shit, and you want to order them an at-home COVID test kit, the turnaround time is uh, about five days from the time that it gets to them, or uh, from the time that you order it. Um, you get it within three to five days, and then when you send it in, you get your results within 36 hours. So that was my experience with the COVID test and with the STI at-home test kit as well. So visit www.trylogic.com. That's without the vowels, though. T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash S-P-F-P-P. Now, hopefully all of this noise stops, which I doubt. I'll probably hear it. Y'all probably won't, but like I'm so easily distracted by things when stuff happens and I'm like oh because I'm not editing these podcasts anymore Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I've been doing a much better job of speaking at a consistent pace and removing the likes and ums as people listen they'll probably notice that I take much longer pauses now in between asking questions and processing what was just said by the guest so uh, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in any of that silence either. <laughs> no, I'm I'm chilling. I'm having a great time. <laughs> yeah, you talk so freely about it. Uh, how old are you? I'm 24. Yeah, I think that there's a very common thing here for younger people who, once they're diagnosed, uh, have more of a willingness to seek support, community, and heal from this. Whereas the older generation tends to avoid it or jump into support groups and allow that to be not just the anchor, but just the limit on what they allow uh, in terms of their space. Like if they don't have to tell anyone about this, then they don't tell anyone about this. But for me, these support groups, these resources, they serve as an anchor of support so that you have the freedom to be as you are in those spaces in the out in the rest of the world. Uh, for me, being open about my status, I often share that I don't have any role models. Uh, the majority of people, when you Google who has herpes or people with herpes, you see typically uh, white women around the age of 30 years old. And that's really all you got. Uh, so for me, having been diagnosed, I didn't even see a man. 
uh, for women, I've always felt like it was easier because I've always had this belief that it was way easier for women to get laid than men because of just uh, access to resources. You know, men and ourselves, like we're uber competitive when it comes to uh, dating. And for women, it's like, all right, well, I'm the chooser. That's how I've always thought about it. Herpes has definitely challenged that perception that I've had, uh, especially being around so many different uh, types of women now and having so many different interactions and seeing just how this SCI, this virus, really shifts people's narrative on themselves and how they date. Like, I've spoken with people who have remained in relationships that they should not be in abusive relationships, toxic relationships, uh, where their partner, their abuser has been emotionally manipulative towards them because of their positive status. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, the the person that they're with has been the person who uh, passed the virus on to them. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that something positive for positive people is making an effort, an effort for is really integrating our post-diagnosis support resources with STD prevention resources. One common narrative uh, really stems around how people with herpes have navigated dating and relationships and their sex education system. So we want to put that in front of people uh, alongside STD prevention resources. And for when people receive a positive diagnosis, not to feel like they failed or they are, in fact, a failure, but there's a transition in how to go about things now that doesn't imply that you did anything wrong. And with the sex education, I think that there's such a focus on the word sex and what we think sex means, which is intercourse, right, that we completely miss the details about learning about the basic functions of our body, learning yep. boundaries, learning to manage and navigate relationships, uh, learning to identify abuse and abusive patterns and how to get out of those, as well as knowing that your no means something. These yep. are the kinds of things that are left out of the conversation around sex education, um, for people like us who have grown up to this point and now tested positive and we're like, whoa, mm -hmm. sex education failed us because it didn't mm -hmm. tell us about SCIs. Actually, sex education failed us because it didn't go into more of the mental health aspects of it because the totally. powers that be, the people who are there just are so hyper-focused on sex and the fact that it just needs to not be talked about that, we just miss all of the important pieces of the relationships around sex, which can in turn like save lives and save relationships and uh, really liberate people into living their lives. Because you may, this may be true for you, you know, having faced the challenge of a positive STI diagnosis as someone who was newly exploring their sexuality, I bet once you got your diagnosis, you were like, shit, they were right. Like, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Wow, why yeah. did I? I was so stupid. I was, I'm so ashamed. I should have done, I did this wrong. I didn't do the right thing by waiting till marriage. Was that present for you? Yeah, and not so much like the, yeah, 
I mean, I think there was just so much shame attached to it of, like, what were the, the series of steps that, like, led me to that moment that I could have done differently? Um, I, I, like, fully believe that, like, better communication from both and all parties that I was involved in could have prevented the transmission and it could have prevented me from getting herpes. Um, at the same time, I, you know, I really understand that like my body was going through so much other stuff, like so many other illnesses that I just was unfamiliar with that I didn't protect it well enough. You know, like I think the, my, my gynecologist said to me, you know, like you've had so many other infections that like, your body was just more susceptible to transmission. It's really likely that the person I got it from, like, wasn't having an active outbreak. You know, these are still things that we talked about. We talked about sexual history. We talked about our SBI status. Um, it was just really an unfortunate convergence of events. And yeah, I mean, like the shame and just like, I felt like I almost had to mourn, like, the sexual person I was becoming. I felt like she's gone now, you know what I mean? Like, because I can't and probably won't have casual sex with people because it requires disclosure. And I just, like, at this point in my life, you know, I'm not looking for a lot of casual sex. So then, okay, I won't. I just won't have it. And that was really hard to kind of confront of, like, okay, like, it takes a lot for me to feel, A, comfortable enough with somebody to, you know, be intimate with them. Second of all, to feel comfortable enough with that person where I can disclose this diagnosis with them and still then feel comfortable to have sex with them and not feel that um, I'm untouchable or like to feel like I've had sex with a few people where I've like felt their apprehension and their caution and it feels pretty bad. You know, it's like, hey, I respect you and I'm empathetic towards your caution because I don't want you to go through what I went through. But at the same time, now I feel like this, like, gross, ugly, like, untouchable person. So it's like, why are you having sex with me if you're so scared to do it? So that's been hard. Um, that's been really challenging. And just, yeah, like, the shame of being the person who could give, like, pass this on to somebody else was really challenging to overcome. And I think I'm still navigating it. Mm -hmm. How has this having herpes impacted your relationship and interpretation with the pandemic? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally, I think I was telling a friend of mine, I was like, so there's COVID and I have herpes. So like, that's like two things out the gate. That's like, I don't want to like really like, I'm just so cautious now. I think because of this experience of like, I have to be kind of in the know, in control, and um, the issue of disclosure and, like, how people, A, know about herpes or know about SPIs and can freely talk about them, like, that's shifted for me. Now it's, like, the first conversation I have with somebody, and I don't, you know, I'm, I've been seeing so many, like, tweets or, like, people being, like, her, or COVID feels a little bit like herpes in the way that people are ashamed to disclose if they've been exposed to it or have it or have had it. And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's what it feels like to me. Like people are like feeling they have to keep like their exposures, like close to the chest out of some kind of like fear of being judged. And yeah, like there's that. And then, you know, 
I just am like, damn, I don't know if it's worth it to be like going around town having, for me at least, just like, I'm just going to have casual sex in the middle of a pandemic. Also, I have herpes. But that just feels like a whole lot of things floating around in the air, like with another person. And um, it has really highlighted for me that I need to feel comfortable, like with the person that I'm sleeping with. I need to feel like they have my best interests at heart and I have their best interests at heart. And um, in the time of COVID, I think that's really challenging. Like for me, at least with so much health anxiety, having dealt with like the trauma of this diagnosis and the trauma of so many other medical conditions related to my sexuality. Um, I just found out like an HPV diagnosis from God knows when, who knows. So it's like that trauma like has definitely impacted like where I'm willing to put myself in relationships with people. So at the moment, I don't really see myself pursuing a lot of sexual and or romantic relationships because like, I gotta do too much unpacking. Like there's too much going on here to invite somebody else in right now and that's okay. Um, but it's, it's lonely. It, 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 it was a hard year, I think, to get these like pretty serious diagnoses and then for COVID to hit. Um, Cause even if I was gonna then start that like sexual rediscovery over again now i feel like i can't because of covid so it's like kind of like wall after wall that i'm coming up against and that's been really difficult Mm. yeah uh in my experience it's sort of been like a compounded trauma or Mm re-trigger so to speak because of the way that we talk about covid and the way that nobody talks about herpes you know Mm -hmm. you wear your mask you wash your hands and you socially distance, and you might not get COVID, but you still mm-hmm. might. You mm-hmm. wear condoms. You are careful with the partners that you choose, and you wash your genitals, right? And yep. you may not get an SCI, or you might still get an SCI. Yeah. That conversation isn't being had. And then talking about what happens after you get it. You know, there is a possibility of hospitalization and there's just there's nothing you can do about it. Go home and stay home for two weeks. And when you get herpes, you get diagnosed, you take valve checks and you still got this. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. With COVID, you have to tell people, you know, that you were around epically that uh, you may have exposed them to it. And it's like. It can be a big deal. It can be a major disruptor in people's lives. Or it could just be like, oh, shit, cool. I get to stay home for two weeks and uh, tell the unemployment that I was at home for two weeks so I get paid for just being at home. Um, Or there's the, oh, fuck, I can't believe you put me and my family at risk. And then in relation to the SCI, it's like, I can't believe you did this to me. You ruined my sex life. And so it's a re-triggering thing. And for a lot of people, just triggering in general. Um, For many people who've never had a positive SCI diagnosis, I've had conversations um, with like people that I've worked with or trained, my clients, for instance. And the conversation, the way that they talk to me about it and the way that I like ask questions, I ask it in a way that allows for them to say, yeah, I feel like I'm disclosing like an STD or something. I just look and I'm like, oh, okay, you know what it feels yep. like now, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, those those parallels are definitely something that I'm seeing more people speak on. Emily DePaz yeah. um, of Sex Education, S-E-X-E-L-D Education, is someone who speaks about this or has spoken about this pretty often. 
uh, on our Instagram page. So you can go and check that out if you're interested in more of the information. Um, and it's just, it's been something that's really been on my mind lately. Like if and when uh, this pandemic does finally end, how will this shift our conversations about sexual health, about health, period? Because now, you know, people are more apt to ask, when's the last time you were tested for COVID? Have you had it? Who have you been around? And we're assessing our risk based on who's worth getting COVID from. Just like we would, but we don't do that with STIs. We should with STIs. Like, all right, well, if I got an STI from this person, I'd be okay. Right? (laughs) And that's such a weird thing to say, but it's so real. It's such a real thing to consider because that's exactly how we're navigating COVID. You know, not everyone's wearing a mask around everyone. Not everyone's social distancing. And there's this thing called skin hunger where... We're depriving ourselves from intimate physical contact with people. Dating app use is still at an all-time high. That's not going to change. Yeah, so like some people are um, operating from a place of morality and doing their part and just suffering from skin starvation. And you've got people who are just kind of like, I don't care, right? Living their lives, doing what it is that they do. And then you've got people who also are doing it out of necessity, you know, like, there's the discouraging of us to be around people in social settings and restaurants and bars and things like that. But what about going to work? You know, like if I don't go to work, I don't eat. Like I still have to uh, go on my commute. I still have to be in the space with the people who I'm providing a good or service for. And these people are still having to go to work and they have to do the things that they do. And so, uh, I'm, I'm very shocked that uh, this conversation is being had the way that it is and handled the way that it is. Yet when we discuss SCIs, like it's not <laughs> like yeah. the, it's possible that you can do everything that you're told and you still get COVID. And the same thing yeah. with HSV, same thing with HPV, yeah. same thing with other SCIs. So. Yeah. Like this very like no gray area conversation. I think with STIs a lot of the time they're like, well, wear a condom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Did that. Still got herpes. You know what I mean? Like, and I I wish I think that nuance like really needs to be applied to like both situations. Like, you can do all of the precautionary things and you can still get it. So what it what's the next step after that? Because I think for both STIs and for COVID, there's not the next step. Like, it's like, just don't get it. Like, that's, like, the only thing. You're, like, just try not to get it. But, yeah. like, you know, long COVID is a thing. Like, like those people who have experienced COVID symptoms for, like, months and months and months after their diagnosis. Like, there are so few resources for them, for people who are diagnosed with herpes. It's a lifelong thing. Like, that's a huge thing to contend with. And, like, what are the next steps? Like, it's literally just, like, okay, take your, take your antivirals. Go. Like this, like this is your life now, and you know, I, I, I wish that nuance was applied. I think across the board of like, not only does this, I don't know, I, I just feel that it now is like almost my like duty is like a very strong word, but like moral I feel obligation. Like I can, moral obligation. I feel like I can never, in good conscience, put somebody in the situation that I was put in, 
you know, for, just because of lack of communication and lack of knowledge and lack of education about herpes and about everyone's status. Like, I never would want to put anybody in that situation, both with COVID and with herpes. Like, yeah. it just puts me in this position where I'm like, damn, I've got this moral obligation and I'm protecting other people, but like, but damn, that's a like, it's a heavy weight. Have you in, had in both cases? <laughs> have you had sex since your diagnosis? Oh, yeah, okay. Had, I was like, yeah, oh. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, no. Um, I had sex actually, like, pretty. Well, it was it was interesting. I, I I met somebody on a dating app. Um, and we we were talking before. No, when was it? I think I matched like right before I was diagnosed. Then we still met up after. But then I had mono also. So it was like a series of like very fucked up illnesses, like all in a row. Um, so we, we did end up hooking up and it was the first person that I had sex with after the diagnosis. And, you know, it was fine. Like, but I did feel that feeling of like the anxiety yeah. from the other person of like, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. It's like, okay, well, if you're that nervous, we don't have to have sex. I'm not coming into this, like expecting us to have sex. Like, but it was still, it still happened. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, that was, we could have just hung out. We could have just made out, you know, like there were a lot of other options rather than like, let's put it in. Um, so yeah, no, like I, I, at this point now feel pretty comfortable in my routine with like disclosing to people and just like the communication that I have with them. Um, but it's a little bit exhausting kind of going into these like shorter relationships. I've dated a couple of people in the last year that were, you know, like longer term. And just the prospect now, like, I'm, I'm just recently out of, you know, like, a, like a six-month, five-month, like, little situationship, like, dating somebody. And um, the thought of kind of going through all of the labor to, like, feel comfortable with somebody, kind of time the moment of the disclosure, how to not feel hurt if I'm rejected, like, all of those things, I feel like... I don't really want to do it again, like right now, at least. And, you know, I think that's something I haven't heard spoken about a lot. I've heard the like, let's, you know, like, this is stigmatized. We can have conversations about it. You should have conversations about it. But I haven't necessarily like heard about like disclosure fatigue. Like we're talking about COVID and pandemic fatigue, but I think disclosure fatigue is huge and I'm, I'm experiencing it right now. And, you know, it's hard to, I just want to be like whatever about it, but I can't morally. I it's, won't. But I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting timing for you to speak on this because uh, I recently asked Instagram if this was a topic that they wanted to get into. Um, mm-hmm. Someone had shared with me that they were just tired. They're tired of yeah. telling someone and then being the educator. And then having yeah. to wait on their response and wait on them to decide whether or not they're worth it and just being in limbo about it. And yeah, that's that's actually a real thing. And it's not exclusive to herpes disclosures. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also clu- exclusive. I'm sorry. It also includes um, mm-hmm. disclosing whether or not you want children, whether or not you want to yeah. get married, whether or not you have children. If you have a disability, whether it be mental or physical, um, any additional like goals, political views, religious views, all of these things are disclosures. And when you date, when you go into relationships and you have to, you know, give this information to potential partners, you run the risk of not only uh, rejection due to incompatibility, but you also run the risk of 
having to become that person's teacher in a way. Yep. You know, if someone yep. were to tell me um, two, three years ago that they were non-binary and this is someone that I'm pursuing and I'm constantly uh, using she or her language toward them when they go by them or they, then that can become draining for them and that can make mm-hmm. the relationship not work out because they have to continue to correct me, right? Totally. And then Absolutely. everything else that goes along with something along those lines, it can be a real drain. So going into detail about disclosure fatigue is something I'm going to cover in an upcoming episode. Uh, still trying to decide if I'm going to have a guest on for that one or not, but it's very much something that needs to be discussed and needs to be highlighted. And honestly, I want to get... I want to use a better word uh, for disclosure just mm-hmm. because of what it's associated with. When you hear mm-hmm. the word disclose, I, I find that to be a little bit triggering in itself because it's, yeah. you know, it comes with this moral responsibility of having to be the uh, person who carries all of the burden of talking totally. about STIs or opening up the conversation because even that can be something that's draining and presents fatigue because you have to carry this you got to think about ah all right at what point in the night am I going to have this conversation Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh all of these are very very real things uh, and worth touching on for sure um we're approaching the end of our time together so is there anything that you maybe didn't get to say that you want to say here to the audience or if you could just Speak to one person, even if it's yourself, a little bit over a year ago. What would you tell yourself or that person? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think sexual, like, openness and, like, being candid with a partner and just, I don't know, I think communication and just, like, open communication and being present for the other person and listening to your partner is, like, can solve so many, so many sexual and romantic issues, and I think that, oh gosh, like, just being, this is so dumb, but just, like, being true to, like, your desires and, like, what you're looking for in a relationship with somebody else, and, I don't know, being able to handle and and deal with, I guess, like, internally, here's what I'll say, I hate the saying that's, like, you can't, love, you know, nobody can love you until you learn to love yourself, like, I hate that, and I think it's very untrue, but at the same time, I wish me a year ago had been more confident in unpacking, um, like, the sexual trauma or, you know, sexual misunderstandings that I had about myself, and I wish I'd been able to do that in private instead of seeking validation um, from, like, external sources, because I think my insecurity and my desire to kind of catch up on everything that I'd missed out on sexually was a contributing factor to the miscommunication that led to my exposure and my diagnosis. So, um, yeah, like sex is really hard and challenging and I don't think there's like a right way to talk about it, but I would really hope that, you know, if you are a person seeking a sexual relationship with somebody that you go into it with the expectation that like, you're going to have to have some deep conversations or should maybe, I don't know. I think we should change the way that we talk about sex and casual sex because, I've had casual sexual experiences that left me feeling very unseen and very just like, why am I doing this if we're, if it's literally just technical? Like, you know, I want to feel that I am attentive to that partner and I want to feel that I am 
like helping that partner feel good. And in order to do that, I have to know a little bit more about them. And some people have casual sex and it's great. And like, that's what they do. And it's amazing. They're good at it. But for me as a person, I, I need to, I need a little bit, need a little bit more to work with. And um, I just like love to see that conversation opened more. So it's not just like casual sex, then you're in a relationship. It's like, no, like sex is so nuanced and varied and beautiful and weird and like ugly, you know, like sex isn't just one thing. And um, in order to better, I guess, like open communication for STIs and herpes, like we just got to kind of open communication across the board, like make it something fun and inviting rather than something to be afraid of. Cause I was very afraid and now I'm, no longer afraid. I'm like, Hey world, I have herpes. I'm like, that's okay. Let's talk about it. So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing this here. Uh, yeah, thank you. We want to normalize the conversations. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, normalization of SCIs. That's, that's just something that I don't believe is realistic. Uh, yeah. Like we're not going to talk about SCIs the way that we talk about the common code because of how we no. talk about sex until we yeah. can begin to, view sex as the all-encompassing uh, element of life that it is, which is, yep. you know, interconnected to mental health, we'll never get there, right? Absolutely. So, again, just going back to our identities, our sexual identities are, <laughs> you know, that's where, that's, that's where we, many of us, look at who we are. Like, that's where we have our identities validated through our most intimate connections with others and physical sex is oftentimes a starting point for us yeah so um we'll close out this podcast episode here and um if you're someone who is interested in joining a community i have created the something positive for positive people facebook podcast community on facebook if you want to be a part of that, just send me a friend request and DM me as well. I DM everyone who requests to join just to make sure you're a real person and you heard about this through the podcast because this is the only way that I'm talking about it. I do not know what this community is going to become. So right now there's not a lot of activity. I try and check in every now and then to make sure people know that I am there and I'm uh, active on it. Um, but fulfilling uh, a lot of the executive director duties, managing the podcast. I just finished up yoga teacher training. Uh, tomorrow actually is my graduation. Today is Saturday, November 21st. Is today 21st? Okay, good. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, so this will be, I think this will be uploaded uh, this upcoming week, actually. So this will be the next episode, 159 or 160. Uh, yeah, I've been all over the place. <laughs> uh, it's it's okay. been time it's, is fake. <laughs> yes, it's been such a uh, wonderful past month. Um, just transitioning into a full time uh, executive director role for something positive for positive people, which all that means is more of the behind the scenes stuff requires my attention because I'm now reaching out to people and making contact with individuals who can in fact provide a significant amount of funding for us that can pay me a salary as well as pay for people who are struggling with SCI stigma after their diagnosis to receive mental health services. So all of your support, however you can, means a lot. So if you can either make a donation, if you can uh, share your story on the podcast, if you 
can leave a review, share our resources, go to Instagram or Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, at H on my chest, and just uplift this platform because of all of the work that it is capable of and where its arms are extending and reaching out into other spaces and bringing in the normalization of STI-related conversations and normalizing uh, conversations around STI disclosure and knowing what your status is. Again, my goal is never going to be to end the stigma. I just want to give people the tools they need in order to navigate it in the way that they choose. Till next time, stay sex positive.